the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. We are going to delve into um, this topic, and uh, it's related to the whole idea of screen time. and. Whether extensive interaction screen use and its subsequent additions and neurological disorders originate from social media or in the classroom, one thing we do know is certain, and that is that children today, according to Dr. Victoria Dunkley, are functioning at cognitive levels three years younger than their same age peers were 30 years ago. That's right, Rebecca. Now consider these statistics, okay? According to a 2016 study that was conducted by Common Sense Media, about 50% of teens in a survey of 620 families, they said that they felt addicted to their smartphones. Wow. It's pretty scary, isn't it? It is. And we're going to get into some of the motivations of these technology companies and their higher ups in terms of really what was at work behind the scenes to bring these people in to be addicted. And and nearly 80% said that they would check their phones more than hourly and felt Mm -hmm. the need to respond instantly to messages. Hmm. I mean, what a burden. Uh, yeah, I can't even imagine. I mean, now, when I'm at home, I can see it a little bit more. But at work, I want to keep it set to the side. It's so multitasking that, on yeah, steroids. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Having your mind in like three or four different places. Right, right. It is hard. It is. It, you can see why it's becoming a problem. Right. And you can tell when people are distracted, too. Yes. You know, a 2015 <laughs> study that was done by the Pew Research Center uh, they, uh, along with the research firm Verto Analytics, revealed mm-hmm. that nearly 75% of teenagers had access to smartphones and unlocked their devices about 95 times wow. per day 95? on average. That's no a way. Lot. That's close to nine <laughs> hours per day is what the study said. Connected to the Internet on large and small screens outside of school. So you see the technology push that's going on inside the classroom. Now take those numbers in terms of what's going on outside the number right. or outside the schools, rather. And then you've got, you know, kids that are really begging their parents. We want to bring these devices into our bedroom when we right. go to sleep. So it's this round o'clock connection to just the cyber yeah. world. Yeah, of yeah. Of infinity. Which, what we covered last week in our show, um, talked about the damaging effects of the screen time. So it doesn't matter whether the content that the student, even if it's not social media, let's say you're talking about some learning game or something, it's still screen time. Right. It's the blue lights that you see, which studies have shown it makes it more difficult to fall asleep. Yeah. 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 So, so many problems have come from that. And you're right. Now that it's being pushed inside the schools, it's only adding 
yeah, adding insult to injury, really. Absolutely. Well, earlier this month, we discussed how interactive screen time shifts blood flow away from the frontal lobe, which is what is responsible for the executive functioning in the brain. And it's actually the last part of the brain to develop in a child and in an in an individual, sorry. Um, chronic stress uh, is really therefore the result, which is greatly compromising the main functions of that frontal lobe. Um, motor function, problem solving, uh, judgment, just to name a few. And consider that some of these other negative consequences are specifically aligned with excessive use of a smartphone itself, mm-hmm. which is pretty shocking, isn't it? Yeah, that it could be specifically um, aligned with the excessive use. So uh, this source is coming from an article in USA Today from January 8th, 2018, and they focused on a study out of the Center on Media and Child Health from the University of Alberta. And they found that about 67% of over 2,300 teachers surveyed, so that's a big end number, that's good, mm-hmm. notice the number of students distracted by technological devices in the classroom is increasing. So 67% of teachers surveyed uh, said that the number of students distracted by technological devices in the classroom is increasing. That's a big big number of teachers who believe that. 75% of those teachers surveyed stated that students' ability to focus on educational tasks has actually decreased, which is rather ironic. You're bringing technology right. into the classroom thinking it's going to help with the learning, but actually it's taking away from the learning right. because of looking the at other the things. distraction. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes, it, it does tend to go hand in hand, the device and the distraction. Well, additionally, there's a 27% higher risk of depression in eighth graders who acknowledge heavy usage when it comes to social media much more so of a risk than than the students who spend a lot more time playing sports, hanging out with friends, or doing homework. So, again, we see that connection between depression and social media usage, at least amongst eighth graders in this study. Interaction that's not going on with screens, but with other fellow human beings, doing things that are actually beneficial for your physical health as well. Right. Imagine how that would yeah. uh, render the back good, lower numbers The good old go outside and play, play. honey. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That, that's timeless, and yet right. it seems we've lost that, unfortunately. <laughs> there was times when my kids were little where I'd say, okay, kitchen's closed, outside. That's TV's right. off, outside. Absolutely. And sometimes we parents have to be drill sergeants a little bit that way and say, you have to go outside and play. It's so good for the kids. But again, those things, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago where we see the debilitating effect it has to sit in front of those screens. And it keeps the kids quiet. And the parents, selfishly, unfortunately, take it to say, hey, I'm being left alone. I don't have to look out the window to see if they're okay. Because in the world today, it's maybe not as safe for them to be outside playing by themselves. So a whole host of reasons. And parents are busy on their own technology, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, they are. (laughs) Well, according to several researchers from UCLA... Um, they did a test in which after five days of being at a device-free outdoor camp, mm-hmm. children performed far better on tests for empathy than a control group. Wow. Now that does not surprise me. And when you stop and think about what we're seeing in our culture today, right, mm-hmm. we're, with the bullying that's happening um, through social media and even in the schools themselves, that's been on the increase, is my impression, over the course of the last you know, 20 years as yes. we've watched social media take off. And I really think that this makes a lot of sense, that 
some of that comes from the social media, the facelessness, you know, hiding behind the keyboard. There's no real confrontation, so it's easier. So it's easier to be mean. And so when you pull away from that whole realm, I can see where the empathy factor really does go up. I think it's a really important discovery. Discovery. Yes, I do. I think it's very important. You know, the American Psychological Association, they also weighed in with some research. And as it pertains to the negative consequences that surface as a result of this excessive uh, smartphone usage, Mm -hmm. and of the 3,500-plus U.S. parents that were surveyed in this particular survey, 58% said that they worry about the influence of social media on their child's physical and mental Mm. health. And I agree. I'm glad to know, actually, that the parents are starting to become more aware. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that's a pretty good number, 58%. That's more than 50%. Right. um, That are really starting to realize, hmm, maybe this isn't so good for my kids. Absolutely. And I'm glad we have all these studies to also reference because it shows a consistent pattern wherever you look. Right. That there is this detriment that is happening to young children. Yeah. yeah. You know, 48% of this study also said regulating their child's screen time is now a constant battle. Mm-hmm. And 58% said they feel like their child is attached to their phone mm-hmm. or tablet. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I see it. Don't we all see it? You mm-hmm. go to a restaurant and you see a bunch of teenagers, you know, hanging out maybe on a Friday night or mm-hmm. whenever, and they all have their phones out. That's right. They're not talking to each other. They have their phones Probably out. Probably texting you know? each other yeah, or right. sending messages or on Facebook. Or even a family. <laughs> Sometimes you see families like that at restaurants, mm-hmm. too. It's kind of sad. It is. So, uh, How about that, airports? Yeah, I know you travel yes, through a lot of airports. Yes. That is just like a yeah. cyberspace zombie vibe. Right, right. Yeah. Everybody's staring at their phone. But at least there they don't know each other. Right. <laughs> but I mean, no interaction. It's right. just kind of weird seeing all these devices. I know, up. I know. It is kind of like do, 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 do. It is. <laughs> you know, it, while it's very evident, too, that digital media use leads to really just a, a wide variety of cognitive development issues and an increase in unhappiness. What is the mindset of the various technological companies that create these products? We hear so much from these studies. We hear so much from parents. We hear what children are saying in these studies. But what about the mindset of the people that are making these products and profiting, mm-hmm. you know, just dollar after dollar for them? Well, we, we're going to spend the rest of the show really going into a lot of the things that a lot of these CEOs and executives have said. Mm-hmm. And we'll listen to some sound bites as well. I think you'll... Yes. You'll be it's really eye-opening. shocked. Yeah, it is. eye-opening and and almost kind of sad in it a is. way. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and in a nutshell, mm-hmm. they knew that the overuse of these devices was simply not safe. We'll start with Steve Jobs. As you remember, uh, he is the late co-founder and chief executive of Apple Incorporated. And in 2010, a New York Times reporter by the name of Nick Bilton did a sit-down interview with Steve Jobs, mm-hmm. and he asked him if his kids loved the iPad. Mm-hmm. And this was Steve Jobs' response. He said, quote, they haven't used it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we limit how much technology our kids use at home. <laughs> how ironic is that? Right. The founder of Apple right. <laughs> doesn't let his That's kids really use disturbing. the iPad. It is, because you know that means he knows how right. bad it is for kids Absolutely. if he's not even allowing his own children, and yet he's profiting off of everybody else using it. Very interesting. Well, there's a gentleman, too. His name is Walter Isaacson, and he is the author of the biography uh, titled Steve Jobs. And he said in his book, quote, Every evening, Steve made a point of having dinner at the big, long table in their kitchen, discussing books and history and a variety of things. No one ever pulled out an iPad (laughs) or a computer. 
the kids did not seem addicted at all to the devices. Imagine that. I know. Imagine that. And I love it. Discussing books and history and a variety of things. Right. I mean, the man had probably had a classical bent in his education himself and yes. brought that to bear on some of the interesting topics he brought up at the table, which, you know, I love that because that's what our family did, too. When, mm-hmm. when our kids were growing up, we always... We're committed to having family dinners, even if it meant it was at 7.30 or 8 at night after our kids got back from sports or games or what have you when they were in high school. And I loved it because we did always get into these great conversations. And mm-hmm. it's so much better than technology at, or sitting at the you know counter eating or you're all eating at different times. Um, there is so much to be gained from th- that family interaction and the discussion. But I just think it's so incredibly ironic that, th- that this is how Steve Jobs chose to raise his family, even though he is the father of, of Apple. You know, it's just amazing to me. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Tim Cook, who's the current Apple CEO, uh, he he <clears throat> is the current CEO, as I said, but um, this is coming from a source called Don't Let Your Kids Use Social Media from January 23rd. Uh, so Tim Cook doesn't like the idea of children using social media either. <laughs> How ironic. <laughs> so they replaced Steve Jobs with Tim Cook, who agrees with him that social media for kids is not good. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, I don't have a kid, but a, I have a nephew that I put some boundaries on. There are some things that I won't allow, and I don't want them on a social network. Hallelujah. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in overuse of technology, Tim goes on to say. I'm not a person that says we've achieved success if you're using it all the time. I don't subscribe to that at all. And again, I find this so ironic because then they're the same ones who believe, you know, Tim Cook also believes that putting technology in the classroom, while, you know, yes, it should be secondary, even in the tech-based classroom, which is great, he's still putting it into the classroom, Mm -hmm. which I find a little bit disingenuous. You know, how do you make it secondary if it's in the classroom? I mean, you can. It's Once it's there... Mm It's hard because the kids are wanting it and it is distracting. Well, to over them. 50% are distracted, yeah. not on, on non educational yeah. issues. Yeah. So I find that a little bit disingenuous, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, his heart's in the right place. Um, and then there are still some concepts that you want to talk about, he says, in, and understand. You know, in a course on literature, this is Tim Cook again, he's saying, I don't think you should use technology a lot. You know, and I agree. And so it's good to hear that he's acknowledging that some subjects are best taught without the use of technology. Absolutely. That's good. Well, the further along we go in this and the different people we look at, the more sinister it's going to sound as you listen to some of the things they said. The next gentleman that we want to discuss is Sean Parker, and he is one of the founders and first president of Facebook. And he gave an interview to an organization known as Quartz Media, or QZ.com, and he admitted in that interview how Facebook really exploits human Mm -hmm. psychology. Mm -hmm. Now, we know today just what's been in the news the last couple of days, Facebook is in a lot of trouble for some other issues such as data mining and the yeah. gathering of information on people. Right it's huge news. Of course, news it's and- always bigger in news when it, when it seems to hurt, you know, a Republican. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're right. But, you know, Mr. Zuckerberg is, yeah. is kind of in hiding and not yeah. really saying a whole lot. And that's right. certainly a conversation for another day. But anyway, he had done this interview with this group. And he said, quote, Mr. Parker, I'm speaking of, Facebook's main goal is to get and keep people's attention. Mm-hmm. The thought process that went into building these applications 
Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. Hmm. Isn't it shocking that they literally ask that question? They at have the, the hook, you know, and they know how to use it. Yeah. Yeah. To reel them yeah. in. You know, on the topic of gaining the consumer's attention, you know, Parker said that he was fueled by, quote, a little dopamine hit every once in a while in the form of a like or a comment, which would generate more content in the forms of more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop, he said. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. Man, what an what a open and honest statement. It's shocking. Where did he actually say this? Well, this was said in this interview uh, okay. that he had done with a woman named Hannah Kozlowska. Okay, okay. Uh, and that's from QZ.com. Wow. Or Quartz wow. Media. So that... Yeah. That statement, uh, a social validation feedback loop, exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology is disturbing, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I find that you wonder how many PhDs in psychology they have on staff helping them develop all of this. This is really interesting. I mean, think about that. You know, everybody in society wants to be heard. And that's the thing about social media and technology that a lot of people would view as liberating today is that, you know, we have a voice. We can speak. And when people... Yeah. like it or comment I mean that does kind of stroke the ego yeah. I'm important I've said something that people have thought about right. and really care about yeah. so I can understand yeah. there's the yeah. draw yeah and so maybe it can be used for good too right. it, you'd like to think that maybe they thought that this was something beneficial that they were providing right. when they first put it together absolutely um, but they certainly knew they were exploiting something there. and That's as they look in hindsight you see just the uh, the negative things that have come about and they recognize right. it and they say it. Right. You know, Parker also says that the inventors of social media platforms, including Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, and Instagram's Kevin Systrom, mm-hmm. quote, they understood consciously what they were doing and we did it anyway. Hmm. End of quote. Wow. Again, a quote. <clears throat> These are quotes. They are. Wow. Mm-hmm. Understood consciously what they were doing and we did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Parker and other tech founders understand that people have taken notice to the addictive nature of these items, but it still doesn't stop the determination that a man like Sean Parker has in reeling more users. Quote, when Mm -hmm. Facebook was getting going, I had these people who would come up to me and they would say, I'm not on social media. And I would say, okay, you know, you will be. (laughs) And then they would say, no, 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 no. I value my real life interactions. I value the moment. I value presence. I value intimacy. And I would say, we'll get you eventually. (laughs) I don't know if I really understood the consequences of what I was saying because of the unintended consequences of a network when it grows to a billion or two billion people. And it literally changes your relationship with society with each other it probably interferes with productivity in weird ways Mm -hmm. god only knows what it's doing to our children's brains my goodness so this that quote that you just read then was from this parker who was one of the tech founders that worked with facebook right and that last quote Mm -hmm. came from a source uh known as axios.com yeah uh per interview with mike allen yeah well you know i do think And that even, you know, he even admits that at the end, you know, that um, I don't think he said, I don't know if I really understood the consequences of what I was saying at that time, um, because they couldn't even imagine what it was going to be like. I don't think they could even imagine that one billion or two billion people would be users. It's just it's just mind boggling Mm -hmm. to somebody starting it out of their 
dorm room or whatever it was. So, um, you, you know, we, we want to cut them some slack for that. But it is really interesting that there was an intentionality there. They knew what they were doing. They knew they were ma- ma- manipulating human psychology mm-hmm. and um, and wanted to. I mean, what could go wanted wrong, Wanted to right? draw <laughs> people in. Yeah, yeah, what could go wrong? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like the book Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Rosenstein. There are, I mean, there's just a list of person after person after person. He's also a former Facebook executive, mm-hmm. and he did an interview with Business Insider, and he said, uh, "Well, first of all, he's credited with creating the like button. We talked about the likes Which and the huge. comments, right? Uh, that, oh, that is so effective. It is. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I know. For me, like if I write something, I happen to go through the day and say, "Hey, did anyone respond to that yeah, uh, uh-huh, comment I wrote?" Uh-huh. And he described likes as bright dings of pseudo pleasure. Pleasure. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess that's a good description, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then there was Chamath Palihapitiya. I hope oh, wow. I pronounced that right. That's wow. the first time yeah. I've tried to pronounce his name. <laughs> but he's a former Facebook executive, and he also did an interview with BusinessInsider.com. In fact, he is a former Facebook executive who really feels tremendous guilt <clears throat> for what he helped make. And he did an interview um, at Stanford's Graduate School of Business. It was a sit-down interview, and he mm-hmm. admitted that social media was destroying society. And the moderator of this interview uh, asked Apali Ahapatiya what uh, soul-searching he is doing as a result of uh, building instruments and tools that are helping, as he put it, destroy society. So let's go ahead and take a listen now to this two-and-a-half-minute audio clip. It's really eye-opening and a transparent response. I feel tremendous guilt. Um, I, think we, I think we all knew in the back of our minds even though we feigned this whole line of like, there probably aren't any really bad unintended consequences. I think in the back, deep, deep recesses of our minds, we, we kind of knew something bad could happen. But I think the way we defined it was not like this. It literally is a point now where I think we have created tools that are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works. That is truly where we are. And I would encourage all of you as the future leaders of the world to really internalize how important this is. If you feed the beast, that beast will destroy you. If you push back on it, we have a chance to control it and rein it in. And it is a point in time where people need to hard break from some of these tools and the things that you rely on. The short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works. No civil discourse, no cooperation, misinformation, mistruth. And it's not an American problem. This is not about Russian ads. This is a global problem. So we are in a really bad state of affairs right now, in my opinion. It is, it is eroding the core foundations of how people behave by and between each other. Um, and I don't have a good solution. You know, my solution is I just don't use these tools anymore. I haven't for years. It's created huge tension with my friends, huge tensions in my social circles. Um, if you look at, like, you know, my Facebook feed, I probably haven't, I've posted maybe two times in seven years, three times, five times. It's like just, it's less than 10. Um, and it's weird. I guess I kind of just innately didn't want to get programmed. And so I just turned, tuned it out. But I didn't confront it. 
And now to see what's happening, it's really, it really, it really bums me out. What are some of your thoughts when you hear that, Rebecca? Oh, boy. I, you know, I have to say that I'm actually encouraged, I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it disturbing, but at the same time, he's so honest he and is. transparent that I can't, I can't hold anything against him. Because, right. you know, he said, I think ultimately we sort of did know deep in our backs of our minds that something probably could go wrong, but we didn't really tee it up that way you right. know they they kind of put it in the back of your mind which you tend to do when you think you're doing something and you think you're on the verge of something big i think you tend to focus on the positives rather than the negatives right and so you, you know you kind of don't blame them in a sense that that they went forward anyway but at the same time um it's true i totally agree with him that it is tearing apart the fabric of society. And I have talked about this so often, uh, even as a school leader, that the civil discourse piece is the biggest, I think, the biggest problem. Because if we can't conduct civil civil discourse, Mm -hmm. then we are um, undermining the ability to communicate with those with whom we disagree. Right. And that's how we end up with all of the arguments both on social media and on college campuses and you know everywhere else. It's it's just spreading so deeply. And so I I really agree with him and I I'm very very I, I applaud him wholeheartedly for having the courage to be able to speak yes. that way publicly and to really provide a big mea culpa, you know, we we blew it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's trying to fix the problem. Right. There's a real contrition and, there, yeah, and I'm very yeah. thankful for that. And, you know, when we go into these things as well, too, I mean, there's the capability of it being something very good, very positive. And you can't help but think, gosh, but, you know, what could be the things in this that would be really bad? Mm-hmm. But you really don't, in wanting to stay positive, you don't think those things yeah. are really going to come yeah. to the surface anyway. But yeah. I'm just glad that men like this are coming forth and addressing oh, absolutely. Uh, what they see are, are the shortcomings with social media. And just for the record, too, we just want our audience to know that, you know, technology serves many very good purposes. Absolutely. You know, it's yeah. not as though we're just yeah. sitting here saying all technology bad. No, we're just yeah. talking about the mm-hmm. overusages. Anytime mm-hmm. something good is available, you know, the human tendency can be to take it too far or to abuse it. And that's mm-hmm. all we're just trying to call out here today. Right, so, right. right. Yeah. Well, you know, you think about how long the computer's been around. Uh, right. It really wasn't until we got all the handheld devices and all the computer games and the Nintendos and all of those kinds of things. And then with the, social, the advent of social media, then that's what really made the screen time take off. And uh, you end up with, I think, overusage through because there's so many things that you can use it for now. Right. It used to just be for emailing or writing a document. And right. now you can use it for so many things. Right. And, and because it, it takes mm-hmm. up in really affects and addresses so many areas of life, it just does give people with bad intentions then to say, okay, there are all these other areas of life now that we can, and again, without that face, without that confrontation, I think there's an emboldening too to say, okay, how can I use this in a sinister way Mm -hmm. uh, to really wreak havoc on people's lives? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to also take a look here at Bill Gates. Uh, You know, we see the true confession of this Chamath uh, that was a founder and CEO of the Social Capital. Um, We also have Bill Gates, who is well known, obviously, as a Microsoft founder. And 
Interestingly, he too has concerns about technology. So Gates's daughter developed what he says was an unhealthy attachment to a video game in 2007. Mm-hmm. So he obviously dealt with that. And uh, he didn't allow his kids to get cell phones until they turned 14, fearing the effects of too much screen time. And yet the average age for a child getting their first phone today is 10. Wow. 10 years old. Crazy, isn't it? I didn't even have a Nintendo so when I was 10. <laughs> I know, I know. And our production manager told us at the break that her one-year-old, at her one-year-old appointment, the doctor asked how much screen time her one-year-old was getting, oh, wow. which is bizarre, a one-year-old. So it shows you where our culture is headed. But interestingly, even though Gates has noticed these problems and has prevented his daughter from having a cell phone until 14, uh, it still hasn't prevented him from promoting technology in the classroom classroom and with children. So there's still kind of that double standard going on. The powerful pull of the dollar. Yes. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this week on mm-hmm. Education Nation. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.